Welcome to the table, a place where stories are told, life is shared, and our hope is you'll leave full. We encourage you to sit back, pull up a chair, and enjoy the conversation. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Table. I'm your co-host Drew Phillips, and joining me around the table is my other co-host, Chris Albritton. Hello. And Michael and Susan Budd. Hello. Hey guys, glad you guys are here. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to join us today. Um, one thing we like to do for our listeners, um, since they're going to hear a little about your story, is just start with getting to know you a little bit. So either one of you can start, but just tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Well, we are uh, Sid Michael and Susan Budd. Uh, we've been married for 22 years here in Lafayette, West Lafayette, for the last three and a half years. Uh, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Susan caught up with me there in Columbus, but since then we've lived in Atlanta for 11 years and Greenville, South Carolina for nine before coming here. And? And we, <laughs> we have five children, um, our oldest as Elijah is 19 and Jeremiah is 17, um, Isaiah is 14, Josiah is 12, and Rebecca is 10. And I'm Susan, and uh, I met Michael in Columbus, Ohio when, um, when I was single and, uh, uh, and working there after college. And I followed him to Atlanta, Georgia, where we got uh, engaged, and then... Um, we got married and had our kids, and I'm from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, okay. South Central Pennsylvania, and uh, a Penn State graduate. Yes, I'm a Penn State graduate. And Michael's from Ohio now, are State. You, uh, yeah, I was about to say, are you Ohio State? I yeah. Am. <laughs> so, what do you do on game days whenever they play each we, other? Is we, this a big we, rivalry or not? We, we fly three flags at our house now. Oh, oh nice. We, yeah, we fly. Is Purdue one of them? Yes. Purdue is one of them. Purdue is where our oldest is going. <laughs> okay. So, awesome, uh, awesome. Now, Michael, tell uh, the listeners what you do for a living. So I'm the CEO for United Way yeah. Great Lafayette. Great. How long have you been with United Way? Uh, I just celebrated 20 years overall. Wow. So, yeah, well, seven and a half in Atlanta and nine in Greenville. Yeah. So That's awesome. Very good. And then Susan? I am the CEO for the Bud Zoo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a great way of putting things. I love that. <laughs> Make so. sure everything happens around the house and, and keeps the family in line, right? Oh, that's right. There you go. Well, when you have five kids and one of them has special needs, you... Yeah. It, yeah. is a, it is a full-time job. It is. Like yeah. I said, I, I used to think that I could be a stay-at-home dad um, when I was single, and I realized very quickly I went and babysat some of some um, friends of mine. I babysat their kids for a couple of days while they went to a conference, and I realized very quickly I'd be a better stay-at-home husband yeah. Yeah. than a stay-at-home dad. Once, once yeah. the kids entered the picture, that's, that's, that's a hard job. Yeah. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your faith story? How did you come to uh, uh, knowledge of Christ? Uh, grew up in the church? Anything like that you want to share? And we'll start with Michael and then go Susan. Sure. So I did. I grew up in church, um, you know, every Sunday and Sunday night for my, my whole youth. Uh, though when I got to be uh, uh, in college, I had a time where I realized that I had to transition from my parents' faith to my faith, yeah. Yeah. you know, and that that. I knew what the church I went to believed, but I didn't necessarily always know why that was the faith that I that I followed. And I went through a period of, you know, struggling uh, in my faith and, and doing the things that I, that I knew God wanted me to do, but, but wasn't. And um, when I was a senior, 
at Ohio State. Uh, the summer before my senior year, I actually started back to our youth group at church. And to be honest, I was going because that's where the girls were, but uh, <laughs> but whatever, it got me there. And uh, God just really started working with, in my heart with that group. And uh, then that fall, I joined the Student Christian Fellowship at Ohio State, which I hadn't been a part of before. And, um, and then that... February, so February 94, at a, at a college retreat, I rededicated my life to Christ. A very, wow. very significant moment for me yeah. as far as realizing what I believed and why I believed. And, and as I've said many times, you know, I've spent my life since then trying to live up to what I, what I promised that day. Um, but then after that, um, that spring break, I went to Honduras on a mission trip, one of three times. And uh, just really changed my perspective on, on a lot of things. Um, why I do what I do today is because of that trip. A lot of my faith, you know, is from that. Um, but been really involved in the church since then in leadership roles wow. and worship and different things. Yeah. But uh, um, not always easy, but always uh, look and lean on God. Great, great. And Susan? Well, I did not grow up in the church. Um, but seeds were planted very early. Yeah. I lived in a community where they had uh, a program where elementary kids were um, could leave school for like a club and uh, go to like a Bible study. And it was just down the street from my elementary school. So I did that in elementary school. And then there was a local church that had a uh, bus service and they would come around. It was called the Good News Church. <laughs> and they would, uh, there was this, this guy that would come around and knock on everybody's door and invite them to church. And uh, somehow I, I guess some of my friends in school decided they would go to. And so we took the bus. This was probably late elementary school age. And uh, I would go there some Sundays, and on other weekends, I would, uh, when he would come and visit on Saturdays to see how I was, I would hide. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as I got older, I guess as I got closer to eighth grade, ninth grade, I, you know, I started to pull away from that. But the seeds were definitely planted because through my life, I thought about. Uh, having a relationship with Christ, but I just wasn't there. And then uh, I went to college and uh, went out into the world. And uh, unfortunately, I found myself in a, uh, a bad situation where I was married for a brief time to an alcoholic, and it was not a good situation at all. And during that time, I really uh, wanted to seek God. And so I started church hopping. I think I've been to every denomination of church out there yeah. <laughs> seeking, uh, seeking something. And, uh, and finally, I, I, I found people who led me to study the Bible, and I got baptized, and uh, my faith journey probably officially began then. Um, Those seeds had been watered and and finally grew into a plant, and 
It was, that was probably my mid-20s. And then around that time was close to when I moved to Columbus and ended up meeting Michael at church in a singles group. Hmm. I only went once. And they all said that I went just to take one member. I said, well. <laughs> oh, good. Well, that's, that's awesome. And um, so then how long did you guys date before you guys got married? So we dated uh, 15 months. Okay. 15 months. But we... It know, was complicated because when we met, Michael had already accepted a, a position change from Columbus, Columbus to Ohio. Atlanta. Yeah, to Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. I told Georgia Pacific I would move December 5th of 95. I met Susan on December 9th. Mm. And I remember on... On the Monday after that, I went to my boss and I said, um, <laughs> this doesn't really make me emotional, but it is today. I said to my boss, I said, I think I might have met the one. <laughs> Can you keep me here as long as possible? So, um, so he, he made up stories about yeah, how important yeah, Michael how important was to their was, office. Yeah. He couldn't live without me, and he kept me till March 22nd. So we had a few months oh, to so date got, before, yeah, awesome, before, yeah. before, wow. before I moved. But. But, but God's hand was in it because where he transferred to, my brother and sister-in-law had, had, just, moved there. had just moved there you know, that same year. Wow. Hmm. And uh, I went and lived with them. And... Uh, and got a job at Min Delta Airlines, and so yeah, all, I got a job. I, I I changed um, changed uh, careers. Yeah, and... I changed careers and uh, got something I loved doing. Hmm. Um, I was working in software development, and it 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 really it worked out. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So one of our first uh, telephone calls lasted about three hours and and up to that point i'd never dated anybody that wanted to talk about faith but that was that was about all we talked about the first first long call that we had so i think it was it was one of those things that i at that point in my life had been praying for god to provide someone you know to Mm -hmm. i was not very very good at the whole dating thing and and uh and then susan came along so (laughs) i had well because i had messed up so much on my first marriage, I was, uh, I was determined that I would not repeat the same mistakes. So I had read some books and, and one of them, I don't remember the name anymore because it was so long ago, but it said that, uh, you know, you date with a purpose Mm -hmm. and one of the things you should do is write down your top 10 list of things that are most important to you and you ask your prospective other to do the same thing and then you compare notes and before you even get into a serious relationship just make sure you're compatible and that mm. you have the same Kinda goals. See, yeah, and visions are heading in the same direction because it could wind up that y'all are not on the same page and it wouldn't have worked out. So it's great that's that, right. that you or guys... it uh, would be a lot harder. It'd be a lot harder, certainly, certainly. And uh, and, and we've seen several relationships have to face that, and, and many have uh, been successful in it. But 
Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your kids here? I know we were going to talk some uh, about all of them. Is there anything you'd like to share with that? And we'll start the conversation here. So Sure, sure. Well, our, our oldest just started at Purdue, so he's off and, and uh, spreading his wings. We have two in high school. Um, one's running cross country, one's in the band. And then uh, our middle schooler boy is... I guess mathematics is kind of his thing, but um, really the, today I think our conversation is probably most around our daughter Rebecca. Yeah. yeah. Um, she was born um, with full trisomy 18, which is uh, uh, called Edwards syndrome. It's an extra 18th chromosome, so uh, Downs you have an extra 21st chromosome. Uh, there's only uh, a few kind of those abnormalities that you survive from, um, and 18 is, is one of them. And just to explain trisomy 18 yeah. a little bit, because most people don't under un, don't understand exactly what it is, mm-hmm. every single cell in your body has uh, 26 chromosomes, and each of those chromosomes, like it's it's 13 pairs, or Twice, yeah, 13 13 pairs, and they come, half of them come from the mother and half of them come from the father, and that contains all the genetic material that... No, 26 pairs, you're right. Or 26 pairs, yeah, and that contains all the genetic material that that drives um, who you who you are and your health, and and uh, in in trisomy 21, the which is Down syndrome, the 21st pair has an extra chromosome, so it contains extra genetic material, and that's why you see similar characteristics amongst those who have Down syndrome. Trisomy 18, which is what our daughter has, is similar, except that the 18th chromosome has more genetic material attached to it. So those who were born with the extra 18th chromosome have more severe effects hmm. of that genetic material. So they're born with a lot more uh, abnormalities and uh, challenges. Okay. And probably the, the easiest way to describe what does that mean, um, if you look at the statistics, uh, 90% of children conceived with trisomy 18 don't survive birth. Wow. And of those that survive birth, only 90% of those or 1% of total conceptions make it to their first birthday. Mm. Oh, wow. So if you make it to your first birthday, then that's a big celebration. That's a big celebration. Wow. Yeah. So is this something that you guys found out during the pregnancy, or is this something that, that at that point you didn't find out until after Rebecca was, was born? Um, today with prenatal testing, most people would find out early on in their in their pregnancies. Um, I did not get tested. Mm. We had four boys. I was hoping for a girl. It was mm-hmm. my fifth pregnancy. And usually, you know, after you've had that many kids, usually after, by the time you find out you're pregnant, you're already looking pregnant because yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> your body knows what to do. And, and I just, I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't getting that pregnancy stomach. I uh, I wasn't feeling the same as I did with the boys. So I ended up going to the doctor, and I was measuring behind. And um, so they did an ultrasound early on in the pregnancy, and uh, it was... Uh, she was still too small to, to see much, but they knew that she was behind by quite a bit. 
and that something was wrong. So they sent us to a perinatologist, which is basically a specialist for... Uh, ultrasound. For, well, not for ultrasounds. It's a, a obstetrician who mm, okay. is a... Yeah. Yeah. So at the 20-week ultrasound, where usually you find out the sex, mm-hmm. you know, we were... We had four boys. We were hoping for a girl. We didn't know yet if we were having a girl, so we we were there thinking that's what we were going to find out. Mm. And um, uh, the technician did did the work, and and we know what we're looking for or not looking for, and so we knew we were having a girl, mm. and so we were pretty excited about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I say, you know, we I was planning, you know, walking down the aisle yeah. and yeah. you know father daughter dances and all that stuff, and Susan had her own exciting thing she was thinking about. But it took the doctor about 45 minutes to come back mm. to talk to us. And, and so um, that's not good. Yeah. It, shouldn't, it doesn't take him that long to come back and tell you what it is. But So he came back, and he, he, he kind of laid out what he saw. And, you know, she had uh, a cyst on her brain. She had, he thought she had one kidney. She had um, clenched fists, um, a hole in the heart. And so we kind of went through all these things, and, and those were all signs for trisomy 18. Mm-hmm. And we both were like, huh? Trisomy what? Yeah. You know, what is that? We didn't, had never heard of it. Yeah, sure. And then he kind of gave us, you know, I mean, he, was, he, was a good, he was a good Christian man, and he gave us, you know, the truth and love. And, and, and you know, we, we'd already talked about it. We already knew, well, you know, this baby's... A gift from God, and it's up to Him mm-hmm. to decide um, yeah. how this ends and how this goes. So we we immediately said, you know, we're you know we're going forward. Yeah. But as Susan said, we hadn't done any tests at that point, and he had recommended we do the what's amniocentesis, and and the reason why is they wanted to determine exactly what the condition was. Um, because although she had the markers for it, there was a possibility that she could have Down syndrome or, or some other uh, abnormality. Which we prayed that it was Downs. Yeah, and and actually, as we were waiting for the the amniocentesis test results, um, that that was actually one of my my prayers to God. I didn't pray that the baby would miraculously heal i prayed that it would just be down syndrome yeah yeah Uh, because the statistics were so bad for trisomy 18 and at the time um there was a lot less information and available and fewer support groups and so if you googled trisomy 18 back then all you saw were bad news were bad Mm -hmm. news and and pictures from old genetic textbooks which were not really accurate and and yeah and it was devastating so yeah that was that was the prayer that would just be down syndrome so so you're sitting in in this um doctor's office can you describe the emotions that went on during that time is that uh, it may be too raw uh, and we'll move on but i i just cannot imagine sitting in there for 45 minutes uh just rolling in my head what the options could be hopeful that uh it's nothing and then and then you get the news and 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 what happened then inside well i'll let susan answer um 
I think mom's perspective is going to be different than dad's. But from for me, like I said before, when I knew I was having a girl, I mean, I was filing out her dances. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about wedding. I was thinking about buying a shotgun so I could scare off the boys. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's all that stuff. And then in an instant, it's gone. Yeah, instant. And what they what they talk about, and we've kind of since learned about, is when that happens, you. You mourn loss, but lost dreams, hmm. right? The child hasn't been lost yet, but you mourn lost dreams. And and I think that probably started immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, and then um, that Christmas, I planned her funeral. Mm-hmm. And he... Uh we didn't find out that day that yeah. that you know we that had to schedule yeah. we had to schedule the amniocentesis and then we had to wait for the results. Well, during that time, we went uh, we went back to Columbus to visit Michael's family, and I went. Uh, uh, we had just gotten the call while we were there. This was right before Christmas. The day before Christmas. Yeah. We got a call. We we found out that it, the diagnosis was indeed trisomy mm. 18. And I we still had some Christmas shopping to do. So I, I ran over to the local uh, shopping center to finish up the Christmas shopping. But I was numb <clears throat> and um, and and I was pregnant, so I had pregnant pregnancy brain, and you know I uh, and uh, the parking lot was full, so I had to park pretty far out. And I go into the store, and I, I get my stuff, and I come back out. And as I'm putting my bags into the car, uh, a hooded man comes around from the car and has his hand in his pocket, and he tells me to. to give him my my purse. <laughs> and, and he's implying that he has a, a gun. Yeah, well, no, he then pulled it out halfway, so I could see that he had a gun in his pocket. And <laughs> my mind was so numb from what had been going on. And at that point, I got kind of mad. And I was like, okay, I'm pregnant. I'm in a shopping center. I just found out that my baby is probably going to die, and this guy thinks that he's going to rob me. And I just kind of lost it. And I looked at him, and I said, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) And he looked kind of surprised, and then he repeated his request. And I was just like, no, no. No, and I I had already stuck my my purse and stuff into the car, mm-hmm. and um, it, uh, I shut the the back real quick, and and um, and I, I well I had shut the back when he was coming around, and I had locked it, but then at that point I like took my keys and I flung them towards the store, and I started screaming, and um, you know by the grace of God. He didn't use his gun or anything. Uh, he took off running, but uh, people came out, and then the cops came, and I was told how stupid I, <laughs> I was. And I should honestly, there was nothing in my purse. I didn't have any cash. It was just some gift cards. And yeah. my so we always card. after that we said but, that there's some uh, 
there's some uh, petty cr- uh, thief that's in counseling because a five foot one woman, pregnant woman, but you know that but, is an example of where she was. She mm-hmm. actually, uh, you know, in that month between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'd taken some time off work because she was, you know, Susan was in a dark place. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a dark time. Yeah. And can you describe how how you pressed into God during that time? Like, what was he distant? Was he like, God, what what are you? What's going on right now? Well, you know, that's the amazing thing, I think. And we we didn't necessarily think about it. I think we just did yeah. it. Yeah. But we um, when we went out to the car, uh, the first thing we did was prayed, um, and. Um, and what we were saying was that we wanted God to be glorified mm-hmm. if she died or if she lived. Basically, whatever time we have with her, let her life glorify God and use us to help others see um, God's grace and love through Rebecca and through mm-hmm. the pregnancy. So our church at the time did this thing they called Stabs of Joy every Christmas. And it just happened to be the next Sunday, I think, or maybe two. And as you can tell, this is all really raw for me. Yeah. Um, but uh, we went, I went, you know, I was there, and I don't know why. I just, I told Susan, I want to go say something. And so... You know, in front of the service we were in, which was, you know, 500 or 1,000 people, you know, I said what was happening. And I said, you know, so how's that stab of joy? And I said, we are going to we're going to praise God uh, no matter what happens. And so because of that, it became a very we were open about it right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. We were open about it. And so our church family just rallied around us and we were in the choir and orchestra and they rallied around us and prayed with us and yeah. um you know you know God's hands were the church mm. wow yeah and that's that's one thing i would encourage other families who are going through this uh, a lot of people are very um private when they're facing something like this and i would really encourage them to to reach out to their church family cuz it was it was because of all the love that surrounded us hmm. that we were able during to... During the uncertainty, during the... Absolutely. Hmm. And, um, you know, they they helped us uh, in more ways than, than we could ever, um, ever I mean, really cr- verbally explain anyone. Crazy stuff. Like, we, you know, we had a child we thought was going to die before we brought her home, right? We prepared the boys for that. So we didn't. Who at the time were two, four, six, and eight little boys, right? That was probably the reason why we wanted to know, because we wanted to be able to prepare them, you know. But we didn't think to paint the nursery. And a few days after Rebecca was born, some friends just showed up Hmm. and painted her nursery, decorated it up. Wow, that's awesome. It's a little thing, but it's something that our church family saw a need, they did it, and it meant yeah. a lot to us. Yeah, that's great. Well, what I'd like to do right now is, is, is press pause. Let's press pause on this, um, and we'll come back in, um, in episode two or, or part two of this and um, talk about 
Rebecca's birth and, and, and what God did and has been doing since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but for our listeners, thank you for, for listening today, joining us around the table. Thank you guys for um, just your honest, raw emotions. Um, I really appreciate that. You guys being willing to, to sit in here and to share yeah. what God's been doing and, and being willing to be emotional and, and letting that be okay. So thank you and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much for listening to The Table, a podcast of Calvary Church in West Lafayette. For more information, check us out at yourcalvary.info.